Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Superhero Movie Club, a community of superhero fans gathered to talk about a variety of things, but in essence, superhero movies. All nerds welcome, but please wipe your feet at the door. I'm your comic book cultured host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Skyler-Houtsma, and the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. SHMC is your premier movie discussion podcast. Each week, we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, or science, SHMC talks about it all in this week's episode. You want to know how I got these scars? My father was a drinker and a fiend. And one night, he goes off crazier than usual. Mommy gets the kitchen knife to defend herself. He doesn't like that. Not one bit. So, me watching, he takes the knife to her, laughing while he does it. He turns to me, and he says, Why so serious? He comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? Sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And... Why so serious? The Dark Knight. And yes, there will be spoilers. Okay, so we are here, back again, returning from our hiatus, our break, our period of... Of, of trying to figure out and schedules in our lives, and it only got worse, which is wonderful. But we're here to talk about the, the, perf- the perfection that is Dark Knight. It's not perfect. Well, okay, sure, but... You're not perfect. Opinions, opinions, opinions. Excuse me. <laughs> Gorgeous. Okay, so let's talk about first opinions then. Going around the board, um, I'm going to start this one off, actually, because... Dark Knight is, when you look at it from a storytelling standpoint, just all the structures, the ambiances, the music, uh, the acting, and the the script, and all the things that need to go together to tell a phenomenally impactful story, a story with reverence and, and real drama and suspense, The Dark Knight really hits a lot of those points right on the head, nails them. And you get you get stellar performances from the now deceased Heath Ledger and stellar performances even out of Michael Caine and Aaron Eckhart. And honestly, I love The Dark Knight so much that I have made rules for why I can't watch that movie anymore. I can only watch it for three reasons. One, it's for research. Two, to show it to someone who has never seen it before. And three... If at least seven years have passed, oh, while it may not be my favorite superhero movie, I have to say, in my opinion, I think it is the best made superhero movie. Best made of all, movie of all time? Contestable. Not a given, that's for sure. But 
you could uh, you could put it in put it in top twenty, and I don't think too many people would shout at you. Nowadays, <laughs> so I don't Skyler. know. It's the internet, so yeah. So go ahead, Skyler. Oh, uh, Dark Knight is without a doubt still my greatest cinema experience. Just going to a theater, watching a movie, getting just blown away. Best movie I've ever seen? Contestable. It switches around depending on uh, what's going on. Best superhero movie I've ever seen? Pretty assuredly. But that's also calling it a superhero movie, which I kind of pause at just because not only is it that, it's just a great crime drama thriller and just a great movie in general. Like you said, all the parts of it just come together for an experience that's uh, impactful and thrilling and exciting and truly, truly memorable. All right, so go ahead, Ben. What did you think of Dark Knight? I, I think this has happened a lot on this show where I, <laughs> my opinion of the movie is much cooler than yours. Oh, how dreadful. Like, <laughs> oh. that, was, that was a good one. You should be proud of that one. No, I, I thought this was a, a fabulous movie, very well made, a lot of great performances, but... Is it the greatest movie ever made? Not by a long shot. And but that okay. The, the is it my favorite movie, or is it in the list of my favorite movies? That's a, an interesting question that nobody asked. But I'm going to explain my answer to it anyway because like the list of movies that I think are great, and the list of movies that I could watch over and over and over again are very different lists. Well, but what about no, okay, Dark the Knight? Is, the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight is on neither of these lists. Okay, good to know. So why for you? Why not? I there are just like a bunch of sequences and some like plot issues that just make me go, "Huh?" They like take me out of it. A specific example, the big like car chase when Joker comes out of the semi truck and shoots people with bazookas. I found it very visually confusing, and I like couldn't keep track of where the cars were in relation to each other, which is kind of important during a chase scene. Okay. That that scene in particular just takes me out of the movie. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I feel you. So why don't we move on to what the majority of people thought about this movie, or what the majority of people spent on this movie with its money. Skyward, give me some money stats for The Dark Knight. Oh boy, this is going to be a sizable entry to the uh, the world of superhero money in that it's one of the biggest movies of all time. Dark Knight made on a production budget of $185 million. So, not chump change, not super amazing blockbuster money, but right there midline. Uh, what it brought in, uh, considerably more. $534.9 million in the U.S., coupled with $469.7 million everywhere else for a grand total of 1.005 billion. So the production budget was about 185 million dollars, right? What is the average Batman of a mean budget? Like Batman is one of the one of the biggest characters in American, you know, myth-making and like how much money do you put down on this to tell a fantastic story? And right now this is this is 185 million dollars. And that's that certainly sounds like enough, especially since it brought in so much. Right. The uh, production budget on Batman Begins was 150, so that's like the baseline for a blockbuster. And then for Dark Knight Rises, it was considerably more, due in no small part to how much money this movie brought in. But 185 is bumping it up a, 
a good amount just to uh, hopefully get more returns in it. And it's, I'm the, sh- it's the it's the GDP of the Marshall Islands. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, that little uh, uptick they had in their budget, they definitely brought back in uh, exponential amount, shall we say? To add some uh, fun facts on this. Uh, it was the biggest comic book movie ever for four years until uh, Avengers came out. Uh, it's still one of the highest grossing films ever. I think it's the 21st highest grossing film of all time, not adjusted for inflation. Of course. And other films like it, I think the only other superhero films ahead of it are Dark Knight Rises, Iron Man 3, and the two Avengers films. Okay. <laughs> and all of those came out after this film, so... Uh, and, had, and I think all of them had uh, 3D, with the exception of uh, Rises. Okay, yeah, because this one was filmed with just IMAX cameras, right? Yep. Uh, not, not just IMAX cameras. They use IMAX cameras in, in a few scenes. Oh, sequences. yes, I know, I know. <laughs> Sorry, that was misleading information. It was accurate in the sense that IMAX contributed a big amount to why this movie made so much money. Oh, also had a biggest opening weekend for... Quite a while at uh, 155 million. So this was like the first superhero movie to break a billion. Yeah, I believe so. It was back in 2008. It was one of like four movies to uh, break a billion at all. I think it was just Titanic and Return of the King at that point. Damn. Since now, then. Yeah, nowadays it's like billions. Like if you don't, it's not a hit unless it's a billion dollars. Exactly. It was a big deal back then. All a right. trendsetter, if you will. Okay. Let's uh, let's talk about the comic book section then, or the source book section, depending on how you want to phrase them. Um, where it all starts is the title, The Dark Knight. And that title was first applied to Batman in Batman number one, which was written by Bill Finger and drawn by Bob King. And there's a lot of controversy behind this because... Bill Finger is sometimes credited as a co-creator for Batman. You know, right now, when you watch the Batman movies, it all says Batman created by Bob Kane. And Bill Finger was there on the first comic book, Detective Comics number 27, and his family has received, or his heirs have received no money for that. Comic book characters back then were made for work for hire. So the company, and they, well, they kind of still are today, honestly, and where the company owns the comic book characters, the creators, they have the note of saying that they created the character, but they are entitled to no monetary value. So this was a big issue when when Joe, uh, when people like Jerry Seigel and Joe Schuster wanted to get money for Superman. Um, and that's a long, that was a long, hard-fought battle in the legal system that was only recently won. And so... Currently, Bill Finger is still in a battle in which Time Order does not acknowledge that Bill Finger was a creator. So whether you believe he should be or not, I mean, I think personally we do here. It's it's interesting to take note because like he doesn't get a title credit, even though he created the words, the title, The Dark Knight, technically, for Batman. He is not credited as being a creator of Batman in any way or a contributor to the Dark Knight film. So. He also doesn't get any royalties, which... Oh, also, yeah. Like, nobody which, gets royalties. <laughs> which I was going to say, kind of okay in his case, since he's dead, but... Goes to their heirs. Like, the, the, the Schuster and Siegel family still get um, Superman money because of that very long legal case they went through. 
and all these yeah all these golden age writers and artists are all most of all passed away so all you you have just families fighting for legacies really but moving on more to uh, about the dark knight the movie specifically you have a story that was written by david goyer which is sort of was an amalgamation of batman storylines such as the long halloween the killing joke and Joker's debut comic in Batman number one. And way back when, in, in uh, when when Batman number one came out in the 1940s, there was no, there was very little censorship on comics. So the Joker was, well, cartoony in in look and such. He was very brutal. Like he murdered a lot of people, and with a big smile on his face. Like back then, Batman killed people. This was before his moral code was really rigidly instituted. <laughs> the characters were very different before the 50s where people started saying, whoa, your comic book stories are poisoning our children's minds. You need to be restricted. That's when you know the era of the Super Friends came out. So but while maybe slightly based, while the story may be slightly based on these stories, uh, it is very much David Goyer's tale and well, co-written with Christopher Nolan too. So we're going to move on to characters that have premiered in this movie as a favorite section of this. So first off, there's Mayor Anthony Garcia, who had a very small role in the film, and also he was he's never been in a comic book before, but I like to think of him as Mayor Hamilton Hill from the Batman animated series because he's very similar in a way. He's 20 years younger and three jars more of mascara. <laughs> yes, Nestor, Nestor uh, Carbonell has very deep, dark eyes. And didn't wait, did the the mayor died totally in the movie, right? He got po- no, he was attempted. No, it, yeah, he was attempted. He died in the next movie, but uh, oh yeah, that was very uneventful. It just blew him up in a stadium. Yep. <laughs> but what's also interesting is uh, the actor Nestor Carbonell played Bat Manuel in the live action Tick series of the nineties. Um, which, if you haven't seen, there's only nine episodes. Treat yourself. It's fantastic. Oh. <laughs> gotcha, oh. guys. I'm on fire tonight. Woo. Yeah. All right. Next character is Commissioner Gillian B. Loeb, made in 1987 by Frank Miller and David Mazzuccelli, which I would like to point out. Mazzuccelli has not one, not two, but three double consonants in his name. That is a phenomenal name, I gotta say. Commissioner Loeb premiered in the Year One storyline, and he is a corrupt police commissioner. When Gordon came into town as the new hot cop off the block, that sounds weird saying all those words in secession. Hot cops out of the town. Rest of development. <laughs> Gordon really, really wanted to clean up the town, and Loeb's like, mm, no, 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 no. You clean it up. I make less money. So I'm going to do everything in my power to push you down. So there was that's that was like the big plot of year one, of course, along with Batman starting out as a vigilante. And it wasn't until you know year one concluded and Loeb got fired for his corrupt findings being found out. And he was replaced by Commissioner Jack Grogan, who was just as corrupt, and then quickly, of course, replaced by the one and only James Gordon, who is the ever-loving giant mustache commissioner we love today. And in the in the movie, he was, you know, he wasn't that corrupt, really. He was just sort of jaded. He was jaded. He was jaded. He was naive. He didn't treat threats very seriously because it's Gotham. Just apathetic more than anything. It seems like. 
And he was just like, ah, it's part of the job. Have a glass of scotch. <laughs> Life ending. Because that can never come back to bite you. Did we ever um, figure out if Commissioner Loeb is named after the writer of The Long Halloween? I would. That, like, when I was reading The Long Halloween, I was like, okay, this was written by this Loeb guy. And then I read uh, Year One, and I was like, I was like, is. is is Frank Miller, like, giving a wink to this other Batman writer, or is it just a coincidence? No, that's that's Jeff Loeb, and Jeff Loeb is very involved in Marvel television nowadays, but The Long Halloween came after year one. Right, but Loeb could have, like, been writing before then. Yeah, I, I guess, but Loeb wasn't I, I, really on the scene, so I okay. I think it's just a coincidence. Just an interesting coincidence, okay, darn. Yeah, because Long Halloween is treated as a spiritual Batman year two, uh, in, in that it involves a, a lot of those year one characters right afterwards. Mm-hmm. So the next character I have is the character of Lau in the movie, and he is very loosely based on uh, the Batman villain Calculator. I just like to bring this up. Because I want to talk about how we how a transformation the calculator has gone through as a villain. He was made in 1976 by Bob Rosakis and Mike Grell. And what's so great about this character is when he premiered, he was it was because the pocket calculator had just come out and was a popular new invention. So he was a villain that had a pocket calculator strapped to his chest, and he would press buttons, and a little contraption on his head would shoot out holograms. Fantastic. <laughs> I can do that with my I can actually do that with my smartphone. <laughs> so like and now and now the calculator is 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 this evil oracle, like this guy who's just this broker behind the scenes. Do he has all all the connections, all the information. And do you know how Barbara Gordon has become Oracle and she does that for the for the superheroes, well, now again, she's Batgirl. But Calculator does the same thing, but for the villains. And I like to just bring that up. Because, I mean, honestly, Lau in one line says, I like to calculate. and He, that's he said, the, I'm good with calculations. Yeah, that's the only reason people are like, oh, is he, is he the calculator? Is that because the calculator is, is his alter ego is Noah Cutter, not He's Lau. about the most minor villain there, there possibly is. Oh, we need to... way more minor. Okay, you're, you're right. <laughs> Uh, Yo, they're they're gonna debut a villain that's just named Wolfram. <laughs> That'd be pretty awesome, actually. Well, there was Wolfram and Heart of the Angel TV series, but I digress. Oh, there you go. Um, next character is Sal Maroney, played by Eric Roberts in the movie. He was created in 1942 by Bill Finger and Bob Kane, and his giant claim to fame is that he was the mobster on trial, being um, prosecuted by Harvey Dent. And he was the one that threw acid in his face, which, of course, scarred him and turned him into the Two-Face character villain that we all know today. What's so great about that comic book scene is that in the, in the book, in the story, Batman was there as Batman testifying against Sal Maroney with physical evidence, which I want you to imagine a man dressed as a bat just sitting in a courtroom Waiting for his turn to talk. Your Honor, I motion that this uh, man's evidence be suspect. <laughs> well, it's just in a mask. I mean, come on. Also, you don't have to imagine it because there's an actual scene in Batman Forever where they recreate this comic book scene and you know someone throws acid on 
Tommy Lee Jones Harvey Dent's face, and and Val Kilmer Batman leaps out of the jury box in full Batman regalia and tries to stop what has just happened, and it looks so stupid. It makes me giggle every time, even when I think about it. Because just imagine, like, Batman just leaping out of over a courtroom bench. And that is a movie full of giggles, so... It was just, it was a very comical thing. And it's just one of those things of like, you can't translate the comic book perfectly into a movie. You, like, you have to. Watchmen. Yeah, true. So, what Sal Maroney, what happened to Sal Maroney directly after the acid sprain is Two Face eventually hunted him down and killed him for revenge, and he became Two Face's first victim. And that was it for a long time until he got retconned into more stories about Batman's early career. So like the year one in the long Halloween story, Sal Maroney shows up for a bit longer. And finally, the last character I have that I want to talk about is Two-Face. And Two-Face had premiered in a Detective Comics number 66 by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. Even though Two-Face has shown up as Harvey Dent in the Tim Burton Batman movies and the Two-Face Two-Face in the Tommy Lee Jones, the Joel Schumacher films, this is the first time we really get a sense of both sides of Dent, of both his transformation into this this duality of man. So originally he was called Harvey Kent in the premiere book, but they changed that name because they figured listeners might get in, or not listeners, readers would get him mixed up with Clark Kent, Superman, or just like think that, they're related when they're not at all. And originally he was a gimmicky villain, like a lot of the early detective comics were, in that he was just going to be a guy that did crimes in twos, shoot people in the head twice, rob the second national bank, all that jazz. And so he didn't really, he went away after that storyline for like 30 years. He didn't show up again until Denny, the writer Denny O'Neill brought him back in 1971 and really fleshed out the character and we get a lot of stories that deal with Two-Face as, you know, his duality of man, as the personification of fate, and just the anguished relationship with Batman as the man he couldn't save, who could have been the savior of Gotham. I think the uh, animated series from 92 really drove that home as well, in reiterating that this can be a tragic character and not just a gimmick. There's also some good symbolic resonance between uh, Harvey Dent, Two-Face, the split personality, and the two sides of, of Bruce Wayne's life is Bruce Wayne, also Batman. Yeah, totally true. So that's all I got to say on comic book characters. So I'm going to transition it over to Sky Guy with the music. Oh, modulating into music time. Soundtrack for The Dark Knight, written by Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard. The uh, two composers who did Batman Begins returning once again. Something to note about the overall music for the movie. A lot of themes return for uh, the second Batman movie here that were used in the first one. It's a good thing in that it creates a uh, continuity between both movies. Uh, Not so good a thing in that... uh, a lot of the stuff you heard before, you hear it again. So there's a there's a side to both coin, if you will, on that one. Ah, uh, uh, thanks. <laughs> but putting aside the uh, return stuff for a minute, uh, let's get into the new stuff, which is, by and large, the sound of the Joker. Mostly written by Hans Zimmer, who uh, went on to say that he wanted to create something that audiences could truly hate in the sound of the Joker. And... I, I don't know if I would go that far, 
But I will say what he came up with is very um, close to musically to what Heath Ledger was doing with the character. So let's get a taste of that with the track Why So Serious. So yes, uh, I would say that's not something you're going to find in a typical blockbuster soundtrack these days, or even those days. <laughs> well, I mean, wasn't it uh, that that's the same track that has the Joker note or the Joker two notes of just like the building that's played throughout the film at several different points? Yeah, that's uh, what opens the track and. Technically, the soundtrack, too. Yeah, like you said, two notes. Starts on a D, slides up for what seems like an enormous amount of time up to a uh, C. And that tension between those notes on that, uh, I think it's an electric cello, you tie that to the character just because of its presence throughout the soundtrack. And it's really creepy and effective. Every time, every time you hear that sound, that like you know, the Joker's gonna show up and do something badass and scary. <laughs> it's really terrifying. Like it's it's so it's so amazing how effective just that sound was in just creating tension in the film. Zimmer made a iPod supposedly of ten hours of just crazy batshit sounds to send to. Oh. Uh, thank you. <laughs> to send to uh, Christopher Nolan, and a lot of what you hear in the movie is what was uh, utilized. And apparently, much of that is based on the uh, work of the German electronica group Kraftwerk. Oh, fun. Pretty abstract little detail you might notice, or not notice, but you know. <laughs> so, uh, what's next on the list? Next on the list, we're getting back to that traditional Batman music with the track Buyer Beware in the second scene, I want to say, of the film in the uh, car parking lot, which serves the purpose of reminding us that, yes, this is indeed a Batman movie, and you will hear some Batman sounds. Take it away. It's interesting to kind of juxtapose the uh, sound of this Batman, which is really uh, moody, rhythmic, not terribly focused on melody, but more in the uh, the sound quality of it with the uh, sound of the Tim Burton Batmans by music written by Danny Elfman that was really more based in melody and the fact that 
they're both kind of iconic now in their own different ways. Oh yeah, like that sound, the zoom, dum, 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 like when it just like centers in and just starts playing. Man, Hans Zimmer loves those drums. But like that has become the new Batman sound. Like you could you could play that to probably uh, like a hundred people, and I bet I bet seventy five, or maybe I'd go as high as eighty five. We just go, hey, uh, is that the is that the is that the Batman sound? Uh, I, th- I thought that sounded familiar. Yeah, absolutely. And in the years since these movies have come out. And pretty much during, uh, so many other composers have uh, taken up kind of that sound, utilized it, found inspiration from it. So that's very cool. Now, we've been talking a lot about Hans Zimmer so far in this segment because, come on, why wouldn't we? But it is worth noting that there is another composer on the docket, and we should talk about him as well. Uh, James Newton Howard was tasked with writing a lot of the material for Harvey Dent, Two-Face, and not a whole lot of that is uh, new or noteworthy, so I didn't pick out anything terribly prominent. But there is a very dramatic track near the end of the uh, soundtrack and movie, uh, Watch the World Burn, where we have our final little confrontation between Batman, Gordon, and Two-Face. And a lot of uh, what Newton Howard does with the uh, music is very is tension based on harmonies, progressions, more kind of how those fit in more than natural sound quality. So let's take a look or shall I say listen at that one. And of course, to wrap this segment up, I would be remiss without including uh, what's probably the most iconic part of the movie, at least music-wise, next to the Joker's stuff. And that is the uh, very end with the speech with Gordon, uh, where a decision has to be made about the future of uh, Batman, I guess you could say. Easily one of the most dramatic parts of the movie. I think the part that nails it, as far as it just sending it home, the whole thing, and that is A Watchful Guardian.
aren't able to see it, dear listeners, but during these tracks, we're having beautiful musical seizures on camera, so... This track you need to, like, just listen to on its own because it is a wonderful piece of orchestra. Whether or not you like orchestral music, it's great, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's so involving to listen to, and paired with the movie itself, I it's one of the more perfect instances of uh, sight and sound combined in this film. Yeah, this when when this song starts playing and you have the whole Gordon speech about, you know, what what Batman is to Gotham and what they need and and they have to chase him because they have to and all those wonderful words and you just you just swell up. You you like your your emotions just start to swell and some people I know I me a couple times just moved a little bit to tears because you just it's a perfect end to a story and a lot of a lot of movies they may have this wonderful beginning or middle but the ending seems to be the trickiest and this this one just nails it so well absolutely agree I mean the ending is the part where so many movies fall apart but this was uh, this did it and uh, the soundtrack to it helped in no small part. All right. I'm going to be the sole dissenting opinion. The ending wasn't that good. I didn't get it. Batman's lame. <laughs> thank you, Ben. Thank okay. you. <laughs> so so thank you, Ben, for coming in. And let's just move on to your section then. How, how am I not? And let's, uh, let's talk about science of the Dark Knight. Oh, hey, I'm wearing my Batman shirt for today. I of just course. realized that. All, your, all our listeners love to know that stuff. Yeah, especially since they'll be listening. Anyway, so no, um, this movie actually like was pretty grounded. You know, it's not like Thor or the Avengers or whatever where I have to like, like okay, well, here's how quantum mechanics works. Here's what a wormhole is. You know, it was all pretty, pretty grounded. It was very um, realistic in a lot of ways. It was a very grounded movie. Um, you know, I'm just gonna. So I'm just gonna. If I have your permission to just nitpick a few things, this oh. is gonna be pretty, pretty short and nitpicky. This is this is what you got to do. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's let's start with the phones. You want to start sonar. with the phones? Okay. The 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 phone. Um, basically, Morgan Freeman handed Bruce Wayne a thing, and he's like, "Here, it's sonar. You know, it sends out a a ping, and then it records the response time, and then uses that to map the environment, like a bat." Hey, I just got that now. Okay. <laughs> like, right. like a submarine. The thing is, though, that it's gonna, it's, it has to be at ultrasonic frequency. Otherwise, people are gonna be like, "Huh, why is my phone suddenly beeping for no reason?" Making that so, radar blip. Right. So, you want it to be an ultrasonic frequency so that people don't be like, "Wow, my phone is annoying," and I'm gonna take it to the store and they'll figure out that someone illegally installed software to make it into a sonar device. So it's an ultrasonic ping, but the problem is cell phone speakers don't produce ultrasonic frequencies because we can't hear them. So why would they pay extra money to have a speaker that can produce those tones? Can you can you get an app that produces ultrasonic frequencies? I mean, it's the physical limitations of the speaker itself. You know, oh, if you're building a cell phone, you want to do it cheaply. You're not gonna you're not gonna design a speaker that produces sounds humans can't even hear. Makes sense. You can get those lighter apps. Those are pretty cool. <laughs> By which I mean completely lame. Uh, and I alluded to this earlier, but how to distribute software onto all these computer or onto all these phones throughout the whole city without anyone being like, hmm, 
who's installing stuff on all the phones in the city illegally. So what Bruce Wayne does is physically actually impossible when he creates that giant set of just constant sonar power that is just pinging everything with every every device is pinging everything. Yeah. Bare minimum, he has to make an Android and an iPhone version. And and porting from the Android to iPhone is, I mean, it takes time. It took okay. Fallout Shelter, what, like two or three months to go from uh, iPhone to Android? And people were mad. They're like, oh, I want to play this Fallout game on my Android. So, so hold on. So what he did, it is possible. Like, you could make a bunch of phones that do that. I mean, yeah, if you could get it to make a ping, it'd have to be a hearable ping because that's the only kind of things that the the cell phone speakers produce. But yeah, you could you could do it. Well, you know how he did it well, because the plot demanded it. Yeah. Uh, and also, the the bigger problem with this, frankly, is that he is getting sonar imagery from areas where there are no phones. <laughs> it's true. Um, like, unless all those army guys had phones or those hostages. You you don't carry your cell phone if you're on a SWAT team. You don't ca- you don't take it to an into a building with you. What if it goes off and tips off the the dude that you're already there? Well, like, oh, well, well, we'll just have it on silent, man. Well, what if you accidentally have like a timer or an alarm because you were baking chicken and then got called out? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm sure that happens. And then you're like, oh no, I forgot to turn the oven off. Also, this guy's shooting at us now. But I like I like how how interesting it is the fact that like we wouldn't be able to. It, it all it's so weird. You have to look so deeply into this because he's seeing things that are created by the physicality of sound i mean it's like in it's like in daredevil we were talking about how like you make a you make a sound and record the response time and you can map your environment he's just using he's just using a set a cell phone to do it that's pretty awesome then like in the end when he has like a million cell phones mapping the whole city like the world's biggest supercomputer you you need a pretty good gpu to have it like make this 3d image of the city that updates in real time according to cell phone sonar yeah, that the amount of information he is simply processing at like light speed is insane. Yeah. But you know what? This, we can just assume he has the money to afford that much processing power in a suit. Maybe, mm, probably not. It's uh, your grunt of disapproval it, it, is noted and it is denied because it's a sick ass Batman movie. It's 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 cool to see Batman do Batmany things. Hell yeah! Um, speaking yes. of doing Batman things, in one of the cooler scenes in the movie is uh he goes to where these two cops got shot by the Joker, and he starts you know drilling into the wall and removing this brick and and Gordon's like, uh, you know that is a cinder block and the bullet will have shattered and you can't get ballistics off of it. And Batman's like, no no no, I'm getting fingerprints. Which and of course he, is a Batman thing to say. Yeah, and he goes through and he like reconstructs the bullet and figure out how it broke apart inside the cinder block, and then he, you know, stitched it back together, and there's this fingerprint right there. Um, good luck with that in real life, because fingerprints are super fragile. Okay. Which is why, which is why they're hard to recover. And yeah, if you're listening at home right now on your computer, just reach out with your thumb, touch your screen, and then smear it even a little bit, and you'll be like, oh, there's not even a partial print there. And if you're shooting a thing through a gun into concrete, it's going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff that that will rub off onto it, so you're not going to get a print at all. Yeah, so that print you just made, 
Now, now make another one, all right? And now, now take a piece of cinder block, and see if it'll yeah. wipe away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like take your take your phone, put a fingerprint on it, rub against the concrete wall. <laughs> well, and then be like, oh wow, I'm dumb because I'm taking advice from this dude on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and also like the the evap like the point at which fingerprints evaporate because it's skin oil. So it evaporates at a temperature slightly higher than your average body temperature. Otherwise, it would be useless because that's how we cool down when we sweat. And when you fire a gun, the temperatures in there get hotter than that. So it's going to vaporize anyway. Boom. Uh, so, well, not, to, not to mention bullet, like you bullet casings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the bullet is inside the casing. The fingerprint's going to be on the casing, not on the bullet. Yeah, You might get a partial print, but then... Eh, it's not what we see in the movie, so... <laughs> so Batman's a genius, and, well, with guns maybe work differently in the no-one-verse. As the sonar. A little bit, yeah, a little the, bit. The small but that's, bits of stretching. It's, it's, that seems great, because we get to see Batman doing Batman-y things, which a lot of a lot of Batman media... We don't see Batman being a detective. He's just going around beating people up. Because he's much cooler in the suit, punching people and using tech. Yeah, because Batman is, at his core, a detective. That's why he premiered in Detective Comics. That's all I got. All right, then. All right, then we're going to go right to because of this movie. I got one. We, we, well, we talked about earlier the calculator and how all the fans were like, oh, it's a calculator, like an Easter egg or a cameo or something, because he says he's good with calculations and he's financing all these gangsters and bad guys. A kind of similar thing happened with the, the character Mr. Reese, the guy who tried to blackmail Batman. And then went to the news to be like, I know who Batman is. And then Joker tried to kill him. Mm-hmm. People were like, is he the Riddler? Because his name is the pun, Mr. Reese, Mysteries. Ooh. You know? Uh, what a stretch. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, if it is, if it was intentional, it's kind of a fun Easter egg. But I think it's just, I think it's just a coincidence. An interesting coincidence. Yeah. Also, the Ed, like, what? Why would that make him the Riddler? Yeah, like, yeah, that, that's... There's a guy who's vaguely smart. He must be the Riddler. <laughs> Way to go, everyone! I didn't buy into it because I'm not dumb. Shots fired. Okay, I've got a couple because of this movie's. Uh, because of this movie, leading up to the Oscar ceremony the uh, coming year, there was a lot of talk that uh, Dark Knight could get some heavy nominations particularly in the categories of Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, all that fun stuff. It did get Best Supporting Actor and Heath Ledger subsequently and posthumously, yes. Uh, He did actually win. But the uh, movie itself got more technical nominations for stuff like cinematography, visual effects, sound editing, which I think it also won for, and not so much in the, uh, the larger categories. And supposedly there was such a fervor about the snubbing of this film that uh, the year after, and every year since, uh, the Academy now nominates ten movies for Best Picture instead of five. And that's largely attributed to uh, this movie not getting nominated. Yeah, I like that story, Skylar, but like, I feel as if... I want. I really want some hard proof on that, honestly. Well, the Academy is not going to come out and do a press release like yes, but there has been an interview with, I believe, the Academy VP that, that did confirm like yes, we 
got a large backlash to it. And he was saying this directly in in accordance with the question about, you know, hey, did, is this the reason we wanted to town nominations? So it's as legit as you can make it. What an interesting that's, tale. That's more of a stretch than, than the Riddler being in The Dark Knight. Your mom's more <laughs> of a stretch. <laughs> Don't talk to my mother about like that. I think she might listen to these occasionally. <laughs> because of this movie, SHMC will no longer be doing podcasts because we all hate each other. Last one I had. Uh, we had mentioned earlier that uh, IMAX played a part in this movie and that there's a bunch of sequences that uh, are actually displayed in IMAX. And uh, this was actually the first legit uh, mainstream movie to utilize IMAX cameras, use it in the film, make money off of it. We've since had a lot more movies use it. It's a legit thing now. It's better than 3D for sure. And uh, this was the movie that started it all. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm getting really tired tonight. Damn, it's been a long, full day. My face is red with sun sunburn oh yeah i was out in the i was on the sun all day for the renaissance festival it's crazy it's a fun show so i think we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap it in today it's been a it's been a nice longer episode of shmc we are back weekly just to let you know listeners superhero movie club is recorded and produced by triop cop productions i said i was gonna think of a more ridiculous name and damn right i did if you like what you hear Please go to iTunes and subscribe so that you never miss an episode, of course. And then, oh, 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 and rate us. You know, you can, anything between three and five stars is acceptable. Exclusively um, five stars is acceptable. <laughs> uh, if you don't, if you, like, if you feel so much that, like, you hate us so much that you have to give us a one or a two, or you know what? I count three as bad. So one or a two or a three, then. Just, just, four, four. Just, just please just walk away. You know, you don't need to put us down. We're not harming your life. You can just walk away from this. But if you have a five, oh, we love you. We love you so much. Come join our, join our group, talk with us and such. Yeah. And if you want to keep talking about any of these episodes with us, we encourage discussion on our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash superhero movie club. Uh, we want to hear what you have to say about our episodes. You know, if we're just dead wrong about everything. Uh, if you have any fun facts on the movie that we missed, we'd love to hear it. Oh, yeah. Give us give us some science articles. Definitely. SHMC also keeps up an active Twitter feed, at SuperHeroMC. So follow us and send us your questions, comments, and suggestions, and we'll use them on the air. Damn right we will. So that's going to do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. James Skyler Houtsma. And Ben Anderson. And I hope you all have a super week. Bye. How does it feel to stand on the very stones that ran with your parents' blood? Do you feel sad?